Welcome to Getting Loud on the Cloud, a podcast for companies who are hosting their largest, most complex workloads on the cloud. Hello there, and welcome to Getting Loud about the Cloud. I'm your host, Derek Swanson, Chief Technology Officer of Silk. Welcome to this episode. Our topic today is about how to do effective public cloud migrations and the major elements to consider and plan for when moving workloads to the cloud. We've got five major points that we're going to cover today. So let's begin. So technology has forever shifted the way we work, meet, live, and collaborate. From virtual assistants to remote face-to-face meetings, the prime mover in technology today is a pandemic-driven surge in cloud adoption moving the global business landscape to evolve faster than ever. Companies are scrambling to bring new customer-focused capabilities to market more quickly, investing in cloud innovation initiatives, and working to scale existing services more efficiently. In each business sector, from retail to financial to healthcare, hundreds of new cloud-native startups are thriving as they both create new markets and poach from existing companies by offering new paradigms of service or better ways of doing old business by leveraging the agility, scalability, and global reach of the public cloud. Gartner estimates that spending on public cloud services will exceed $480 billion USD in 2022 alone and will account for more than 45% of all enterprise spending by 2026 from less than 17% in 2021. Executive teams are now true believers in the benefits of the cloud, including the reported $1 trillion in business value to be captured there. Even if they are currently unaware of the myriad strategic complexities and technical nuances that make for successful cloud implementations in order to capture their piece of that value, traditional implementation models that were fruitful in the past are no longer viable for cloud deployments. This digital transformation needs new skill sets and a wholly different culture as purchasing, operational, and governance models are all changing. The shift from legacy CapEx on-prem fixed IT models to more agile cloud-based OpEx infrastructure as code designs is a journey that will take a good amount of time. So we're going to take a look at just a few elements that need to be considered for successful application and data migrations to the cloud. Always remember that the public clouds were not built with peak workloads in mind. The cloud is a one-size-fits-most architecture, but there are some kinds of applications or workloads that do not easily fit or cannot fit at all into the cloud natively. Most workloads are pretty straightforward to migrate, but the moving of mission-critical data can introduce considerable difficulty when the application or database in question requires more performance than cloud-native can reasonably deliver and the ramifications of, quote, not enough performance are not well understood, most critically a degradation of customer experience, this is when cloud migration projects become bogged down in a combination of high cost overruns, vastly extended timelines, incomplete migrations, which means part is in the cloud and part is still on-prem, and not by design, not in a good way, and spotty service that produce unacceptable runtime conditions for mission-critical applications. Mission-critical line-of-business applications have to be treated differently. Migrations must be extensively, even exhaustively planned for. The new platform must be tested rigorously to ensure steady performance at peak load times with a fully tested and truly functional business continuance and disaster recovery plan in place that is operationally vetted for multiple contingencies. That means no reliance on single-headed services or single points of failure in the architecture 
with nothing in the critical path that doesn't have an alternate service to fail over to on demand. There are five items to consider when determining your company's strategy for moving mission-critical data to the cloud. There are many more than just five, but these are some of the big ones that need serious consideration and buy-in from the entire organization. Not just the key stakeholders, but because this is a cultural shift and not just a technology shift, everyone needs to be bought in to ensure good outcomes along your cloud journey. Digital transformation takes time, years and years in most cases, and everyone needs to come along for the ride for a truly transformational success. So the first thing we want to consider is your data. So you need to map out a path that makes sense for your data. Not all data is created equal. After quickly leveraging the cloud benefits of one size fits most to move the simple items and applications, the process to migrate the big mission critical data depends on factors specific to an organization's unique needs, including a deep understanding of the actual workload itself, then the business goals, the current infrastructure mapping considerations, and of course, the budget for all of this. I have found that most data can move fairly easily to the cloud in a variety of different ways. The 80-20 rule often comes into play here. 80% is fairly easy to plan for and to move. There is just that last 20% of the workloads, however, that cause the pain. And we often observe that these heavy workloads have what is called, quote, high data gravity, which means that these databases and associated applications and workloads have dozens or even hundreds of smaller applications that rely upon them and are captured in orbit, so to speak, around these heavy critical databases. Those smaller applications or data sets could move to the cloud easily, but because they are so reliant on the big high-performance, high-data-gravity databases, they can't move until the big database in question itself moves. As a side note, it's very common for those 20% of high-gravity workloads to also be the most revenue-affecting and crucial to the business. Now, they may not have the largest infrastructure footprint, but typically the hardware they are running on is the most expensive gear, by far, and the most technically operationally difficult in the data center. And of course, the data and workflow that runs there is the most critical to the business. So we label these as anchor workloads, and they are a primary cause of migrations getting stuck where some of the workload could move, but some of it can't. And because of the nature of the high data gravity and mission criticality of the entire environment, very little can really move and certainly not the important stuff. Or worse, if it does move, the performance is now so spotty and unpredictable, the user experience becomes unacceptable. So to avoid this problem requires a lot of forethought and planning. So let's talk about the different paths that we can plan for for migration. There are four generally accepted paths when moving workloads to the cloud. Eh, More or less, I'm going to leave off the option of SaaS for the moment and just talk about a normal migration. All of these methods make it possible to move databases from a CapEx model to an OpEx model. All of these paths result in ultimately moving out of on-prem data centers, which seems to be just about everyone's primary goal today and probably for the next uh, many years in the future. So let's consider the factors we just talked about when deciding which path is best. Okay, so four paths, let's talk about each one. First one we want to talk about is refactoring to PaaS, platform as a service. So a refactor. Refactoring applications for the public cloud entails rewriting apps for a managed cloud platform known as PaaS or DBPaaS, which means platform as a service or database platform as a service. Rewriting apps should improve efficiency and functionality immediately. 
But getting there is time is risky and time consuming, very risky. Depending on the complexity of an application, it can even take years to refactor successfully. For every organization, it's crucial that the rich features, functionality, and excellent user experience of mission-critical applications remains intact at the very least or improved, which is the expectation. Truthfully, though, refactoring big traditional or legacy applications that have been used for decades is usually not something undertaken. It's very difficult to even know where to begin, requires a very large development shop both in-house and contracted, and needs continuous laser focus from management and a significant budget to even begin to have a chance at success. These are very difficult things to do, and a lot of times they're, they're so risky and so challenging, people don't even want to begin to undertake them, quite frankly, for fear of, of losing their jobs when troubles or failure happens. Still, taking leaving that aside, a successful refactoring should net you all the amazingly great benefits of the cloud that you were once sold. It alleviates a huge amount of technical debt, provides a managed framework for far easier application expansion and innovation, limits the chance that something will go awry during go-live, amongst a host of other benefits. By rewriting apps for a specific cloud platform environment, companies are better positioned to take all the benefits from the cloud API features and the extra flexibility that comes with the new cloud management and governance paradigm. In a perfect world where all IT projects succeed, refactoring is the best long-term option when migrating your mission-critical applications to the cloud in a managed service. Let's say, however, in our real world, where occasionally projects don't pan out exactly as planned, that refactoring is great for smaller, simpler, or less important workloads, but should be handled with extreme caution for mission-critical ones. As a last point of caution, remember that a refactor to a cloud-native platform or API means that your application is probably firmly entrenched onto that cloud provider forever because you cannot just port it somewhere else that doesn't have those APIs. This makes refactors incredibly sticky. Once they go in, they ain't ever coming out and is why your cloud vendor wants you to do it so very badly. Also remember too, if your cloud vendor decides to deprecate a service that your application depends on, which they do all the time, you will be forced to rewrite your application again to use a different cloud service, which may end up costing more or providing provides somewhat different functionality and not always in a good way. This is something that happens far more frequently than you might imagine. The next option for migration to the cloud is what we call lift and shift. The lift and shift is the process of taking an application, the installer, the file system, and the data, and reinstalling it in the cloud on their infrastructure as a service platform, typically on Windows or Linux. Lift and shift is almost always faster and presents far less risk and migration costs than refactoring and is much simpler to model. However, it lacks many of the features and benefits that come with a full refactor, not getting to use powerful cloud-native APIs, or the simple services and managed frameworks are two things you miss out on. A lack of easy scalability is another thing. Luckily, not all workloads need the robust features and scalability of refactoring. Legacy applications that are scheduled to soon be rationalized will function even if migrated as is to a new environment, and since their lifespan is already measured, this makes them a good candidate for lift and shift. There is a vast panoply of workloads that fall into this category. Most large organizations have literally thousands of applications, and most of those don't warrant spending one penny on rewriting. In some cases, it's hard to tell if anyone's even still using them. 
Caution on lift and shift. While it is easy to model this, it is really difficult to test peak loads. And what works with 10 or 100 users will probably not work very well when there are 10,000 or 100,000 users. Scale matters enormously in the cloud. And this is where this particular model can get into some serious trouble around performance limitations due to a lack of easy scalability and elasticity. Remember, for us, the user, the cloud is a shared nothing environment. Putting applications on it that were built with shared infrastructures in mind can expose these significant performance limitations in lift and shift. So you have to be careful about scaling lift and shift applications in the cloud. Okay, the third path to cloud migration is containers or containerization. Now, containers are something of a hybrid of refactoring a bit and lifting and shifting a bit. Containerization ideally enables the gradual migration of an application to the cloud without needing to refactor the entire app beforehand. Container platforms like Docker and management platforms like Kubernetes allow for the packaging up or containerization of the application's runtime components, the things that actually make it work, and just those things, so they can run in a much smaller footprint than using up an entire virtual machine. The reduction in cost, risk, and time can be really significant, and every public cloud has their own well-understood flavors of container platforms and management tools like Rancher, things like that. This method is referred to as one way of modernizing an application. It isn't a full rewrite, it's just an enhancement to make it more cloud-friendly. Refactoring to PaaS is also considered a modernization method, as is a full rewrite to a serverless architecture, which I'll talk about after I describe containers. Containers are simpler and more cost-effective than a full refactor, more lightweight and easier than a full lift and shift, and containers allow organizations to take advantage of specific features of the cloud without committing to the whole cloud environment. Containerization is useful for those organizations that want to get most of the benefits of the cloud today, but don't want to rewrite their applications. Now, a word of caution, the downside to containers is that your application really needs to fit into the performance profile of the cloud platform, like the Kubernetes platform that you're running on, right? If you require more performance than what simple cloud-native compute, network, or storage can offer, containers will not work for you. This means that most dev, test, or QA environments should work fine, but those 20% of production workloads that require big performance probably won't fit that well. The last thing we want to talk about of the four migration paths is serverless and microservices. Serverless is a newer architecture that moves away from older N-tier client-server models, where you had a client, like a PC desktop, with an application that would talk to a dedicated server that was running the main logic of the application and the database as well. This was called two-tier client-server. There was also three-tier, which had a client talking to a server that handled application logic, and then that server would talk back to another database server that hosted the relational database. There was three elements there, so it was three-tier. So two-tier and three-tier was the way that all large business applications have been written for decades up until, oh, let's say the last five years or so. Maybe more than that, but give or take. This new architecture is called serverless because there is no single large dedicated server running everything. Instead, there are many, many smaller independent services that run across as many servers as needed to provide the application and data services. 
These small services are called microservices and are instantiated and stopped in a rapid, simple fashion, automatically on demand as needed, depending on load. Traditional tiered applications typically scaled vertically by swapping out the existing server with a more powerful server when you needed more performance. Serverless applications scale horizontally by starting more services on additional servers, essentially relying on more servers rather than more powerful servers to provide performance and capacity scaling. Serverless computing provides a set of cloud-native services that completely removes traditional server management. Serverless architecture is able to perform automatic scale-out and in of microservices based on workload demand. So the advantage here is that customers only pay for the resources that applications are actually using on a second-by-second basis. Serverless apps scale based on load. So with little or, say, no load, the services are shut off, reducing costs. With other models, such as with containers, platform as a service, or infrastructure as a service, you're typically paying for much of those resources to be available around the clock 24-7, 365, regardless of actual resource usage levels. Serverless architecture is considered today to be the peak of cloud-native application efficiency. Serverless can also deliver the most cost reduction if elegantly deployed. The major downside is that applications must be specifically written to use those cloud-native APIs and cannot simply be ported to run somewhere else. So serverless architectures written to cloud-specific APIs are the stickiest. They're going to go into that cloud. They're going to stay in that cloud. They're going to live in that cloud. They ain't ever coming out because they're leveraging those cloud-specific serverless services for that particular cloud provider. Okay. So those are the four methods we talked about. A refactor to PaaS, lift and shift, containerization, and serverless or microservices-based architectures. Now let's move on and talk about how to reduce the risk of your migrations. Reducing risk is a key element for the C-suite. We want to make sure we understand the risk. We want to minimize it as much as possible. And whatever risk is left, we want to mitigate that risk so that we know exactly what our exposure is and what our contingencies are. As more data moves to the cloud, there's a reasonable expectation, or I don't know, maybe it's unreasonable perhaps, that the underlying cloud resources will deliver at least the same level of performance as on-prem. The failure or interruption of a critical application from a shortage of resources can mean the disruption or even complete stop of operations, which may then lead to short and long-term financial losses, decreased productivity, loss of brand authority, loss of customer trust. This is where the 80-20 rule comes in again. On-prem, most applications run fine on what you call normal hardware. But there are those line of business special workloads that are probably running on extremely expensive kit that provides the level of performance, resilience, availability, and enterprise monitoring that mission-critical applications require. These are the multi-million dollar platforms that are incredibly expensive. That kind of resource doesn't really exist in the cloud. Remember, the cloud is built, it's architected and built for the average use case, not for the special use cases. So there are three main focal areas for reducing risk during migration. First, you have to understand performance needs. Performance is absolutely key in determining where mission-critical applications should live and drives various scaling considerations and challenges. Performance derives from CPU and memory footprint, which we call VM shapes. 
and network speed, 25, 50, or 100 gigabit per second are the common ones today, and storage footprints, which incorporate throughput, IOPS, and latency metrics to determine their performance. So these three elements are tied together in the cloud like a three-legged stool. To significantly increase one, you must usually increase the others, which makes it hard to size things efficiently. Usually, something is either grossly over-provisioned or resource-starved. For mission-critical workloads running on big VM shapes, guaranteeing consistently fast data latency, typically sub-millisecond response times, combined with high throughput, typically over 2 gigabytes per second of data, is absolutely critical. Not having enough throughput, or IOPS for that matter, or having high latency can be devastating to customer-facing applications. As response times rise, customer experience degrades. Now, I probably don't need to remind you, but in today's world, slow is the new down. So you cannot be slow. Customers will complain and leave you for a competitor if you are slow. Therefore, consider where your workloads live and determine if there is a way to increase performance ahead of making the leap to this new environment. You may need a third-party platform to deliver the performance you need, as Cloud Native is quite limited in what it can provide at the upper end of mission-critical requirements. The next thing to consider to reduce risk is data mobility and data locality. Data mobility and data locality can also be important for moving workloads to run on the appropriate infrastructure and geographical location. We take cost and available services into consideration. You have to consider latency, the speed of light and physics always comes into play, and regulatory requirements for data locality. Where does this data need to live, right? In order to gain all the benefits offered for a particular environment, you got to look at how is this data going to move there? How does this data need to live there? Can it move anywhere else or does it have to stay here? Enabling simple data mobility between environments requires decoupling that data from the underlying infrastructure. Now, lift and shift, along with containers, works really well for high data mobility if you have a platform or toolset that can drive and manage the movement of that data. So, something to take into consideration. Where does it need to move to? Where does it need to live? Etc. Mobility and locality. Another thing to consider for risk mitigation is the high availability of your platform. Architecting a no single point of failure design means that no single component failing in a platform can call a full, cause a full system outage. Rock solid resiliency and six nines availability, along with a self healing capability and transparent data replication functionality should cover both zone and even regional outages. Replication capabilities also enable cross-cloud availabilities for those who wish to have the ultimate fail-safe of multi-cloud implementations. Implementing effective disaster recovery or a business continuance strategy is simplified with systems that are self-healing and can replicate data for failover and then fail back automatically to their application environments. These services can be done at a platform level, or at the application level, depending on the robustness of the solution. Multi-cloud strategies work best with the portability of lift and shift and containers rather than proprietary PaaS and serverless cloud-specific solutions. All right, so three elements of risk to mitigate here, right? Performance, data mobility and locality, and high availability. The next element we want to talk about 
in looking at cloud migrations is eliminating data silos. We'll talk about what this means. So siloed data is risky data. It can have a serious impact on the business in case of a systemic cloud failure, such as what happened in US East 1 region on December 10th, 2021. AWS, we're looking at you here. Systemic failure. Keeping multiple copies of production data in different environments mitigates this risk, but introduces others. Separating data in a multi-cloud or hybrid cloud system may introduce significant performance deltas. In other words, does everything run the same on every environment? Can you ensure that that's going to be the same everywhere? And it also makes it difficult to get a clear view of where data resides and what is live and what isn't. So eliminating silos between clouds and on-prem data centers through a single platform and single management tool facilitates a common interface to provide a unified view of the global environment. So maintaining a common data platform across clouds is instrumental in breaking down data silos and is especially useful for mission-critical data and its accompanying application stacks that warrant the additional costs incurred to guarantee availability, because obviously it's not free, you're going to have to have multiple copies, but this data is tier one mission critical data, so the cost should be worth it. The platform should allow for data to quickly and easily be moved from one cloud to another, while avoiding the need to refactor databases and workloads for separate cloud vendors, while at the same time providing enough performance to support full production workloads at peak to maintain high user experience. So this is a critical element. Don't have all of your data in one basket, because if you have a region with systemic failure, you might be looking at 8 to 12 to 17 to 24 hours of downtime of transactions and business you cannot recover. Be careful about having all of your eggs in one basket. You got to make sure you can move that data someplace else and bring it up and start executing against it and move, shift all of your user workload, et cetera, over to it quickly. All right, number four, what else do we need to talk about to mitigate risk here? Testing, test and test again. Establishing both an average and peak performance baseline sets expectations for the required cloud architecture, avoiding post-migration slowdowns or outages as user load scales. Multiple key service level objectives should be mutually agreed upon after rigorous testing and then continuously monitored through an automated monitor tied into a service-level alerting tool. Conducting comprehensive tests on data performance beforehand should enable architects and cloud migration experts to provision an infrastructure that will support the application workloads. Part of the rigorous testing may involve, probably should involve, pulling historical reports from production systems during past peak times that can't really be emulated. Sometimes loads are just too high and performance degradation is not always predictable or linear, especially with the x86 class systems under high stress that we use today. So you really want to pull those reports and pulling those historical reports is incredibly useful and should always be leveraged as much as possible. As a final note, just remember that the underlying cloud hardware is a shared environment, even though it appears to us to be non-shared. So non-shared to the user The underlying hardware is all shared in a large mesh of servers, VMs, network connections, and storage networks. So while you, the end user, gets a non-shared experience, 
the underlying hardware is absolutely shared. This means that performance will vary based on time, region, utilization, maintenance events, and even noisy neighbors. I've found, and you probably have found is also, that often test results in one region or zone may be quite different in another region. So bear that in mind. Not everything is the same everywhere, and you need to test, test, and test again to make sure you have a solid understanding of what this application's performance profile will look like in this region, in this zone, in that region, in that zone, etc. No surprises. Okay, and the last thing we want to talk about to mitigate risk is post-migration monitoring. Once the migration process is complete, day two begins. Day two operations, everyone's favorite thing. To ensure workloads are performing well, a proactive monitoring process is needed. While performance is paramount, business leaders are going to look for KPIs that include resource utilization, cost monitoring and metering, etc. Managing resources without incurring excessive wasted overhead is an ongoing indicator of success. Now, you will never be 100% efficient, but the goal is to minimize waste. So, enterprise data services that provide free data copies like instantaneous zero footprint clones, instant snapshots, thin provisioning, inline compression, inline deduplication, built in automated replication. Those are essential for maximizing resource efficiency and controlling costs. This is particularly important if plans include making copies of data, especially a lot of copies of data for test dev or QA, as cloud native copies take up resources very quickly, cost a lot of money, and take ridiculous amounts of time to implement. So you definitely want to look for platforms that can provide you rich data services that are robust and high-end rather than leveraging cloud-native because cloud-native really doesn't do that very well, not in any of the public clouds, not yet. All right, so in summary, it's important before kickoff, it's vital really to ensure that the right people and processes are in place for a greater chance of success. So your team members should include the usual suspects, CIOs, CTOs, cloud architects, perhaps IT database administrators. But along with that, today's cloud culture includes application developers, infrastructure as code engineers, data scientists, the R&D guys, DevOps, and especially SecOps, the security personnel as well. These are key stakeholders across the entire technical organization that are required for a successful cloud journey. If there are gaps in your organizational skill sets, look to a solution integrator or a GSI to partner with you to provide the necessary expertise and capabilities to help you along the way. It is a huge undertaking, so I recommend you bring the entire team to the party. Finally, from my perspective, caring for mission-critical data is the key element. Of course, migration planning focuses on applications, but for a successful migration, I hope I've demonstrated that the data performance of each application is critical. There's no enterprise applications and no successful journey to the cloud without high data performance integrity, reliability, availability, and rich services. The decisions made about where data resides can have a significant impact on latency and the ever-important and highly visible monthly costs. As we discussed, migrations provide an enterprise the opportunity to shift their data center of gravity away from legacy CapEx-driven on-prem data centers and towards the OpEx-based managed cloud. As an increasing amount of the most valuable data is migrated to the cloud, organizations must leverage modern data platforms that provide better than cloud-native capabilities. Migration is the necessary first step 
to capturing cloud value. It provides scalability, agility, resilience, security, and lower total cost of ownership. But this is just the start of a whole business transformation to run the company in a new way that enables the people there to build new things quicker, iterate on new ideas faster, to shift resources to focus on the innovation and creation of higher value products and services, ultimately to unlock new value for the people in the businesses and their customers. Okay, well, that's it for this episode of Getting Loud About the Cloud. I'll be back again soon with more discussion around other various cloud topics. If you have something you'd like me to talk about, drop us a note at Silk, and we will endeavor to tackle it. Either myself or someone smarter than me will join us, and we will talk about your subject of interest. My name is Derek Swanson, and thanks again for listening, and we will talk again. Getting Loud on the Cloud is sponsored by Silk, the database supercharger on the cloud. Want to get the fast performance your databases need on the cloud? The Silk Cloud Platform can help. Learn more at silk.us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.